We're in for episode 52 of the Silly Goose Gang podcast and we are delighted to be joined this evening by adventurer, nomad, now farm owner, Ness Knight. So Ness, thank you very much for joining us. Good evening. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolute pleasure. This was, uh, this was one of the one, those ones where um, I didn't think we were ever going to start recording there. We'd been talking there for ages. It was one of those ones like, oh shit, press, press record quick. <laughs> Hang on a sec. We're what, 15 minutes into chatting already? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um yeah, so a, a pleasure um to speak to you, Ness. Um you, you're one of the people where when we, you know we talk about, you know, who would who we would like to speak to. And just, you know, looking through your history, it's like, Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we like insane. Uh so we you know uh you know, with with quite a lot of the guests, you know where to start, but with you, it's like where do you start? Like what like <laughs> so many things there's so many things that get to connect together here that's um it's crazy so there's uh yeah there's there's, there's loads of loads that we need to get into but um well but, yeah. i'm intrigued to give it your best bash of where you want to start i'm always intrigued where people their first questions and the first direction that they want to go so hit me with it okay how do you this is this is this is me going uh not where I think you want me to go or expect me to go. Okay. How, how I'm does prepared. it work? How, I've got my how, I'm prepared. <laughs> how how do you get uh, local tribes people in Guyana to to help you find the source of a river? Well, okay, that um that is not done alone is the answer. So we had an incredible team of people, and that started with the idea, which goes back to Ed Stafford. So the background is Laura and I, Laura Bingham is, well now Laura Stafford is Ed's wife and her and I are besties and uh, yeah she, she'd, I mean she'd been hearing glowing reports from him over the years and years of his original journeys to Guyana back in the day. This was after he had walked the length of the Amazon and he went back uh, with uh, TV crews to be a support unit for that and setting up the base camps etc and he spent quite a bit of time there in uh, Guyana and he just has these unbelievable tales of recalling looking up into the trees above him this thick green canopy that stretches out into the horizon just absolutely gorgeous with every single species of monkey that you could imagine and he just he just painted and waxed lyrical this tale of this wonderland to Laura for years and years and he did actually have the intention of going back there and doing an expedition at some point and Laura clocked onto this and thought wow blooming heck you know you haven't done it yet Ed you know come on if you're not going to do it I'm going to do it and that's where the idea was born between the two of them and Laura kick-started everything she was the team lead on that essentially and uh it took months and months and months uh, I think it was close to a year of preparation getting into that and we got in touch with a guy who has about 20 I think it's 15 or 20 years of experience in Guyana he's ex-military and he is one of the fixers on the ground there for numerous uh, you know, film crews who have been out there from the, you know the BBC I mean, it, it just it, the list extends extraordinarily and so he's over those years built up 
a trust relationship with the indigenous communities out there. And that is crucial because quite a lot of the time you'll go to places around the world where uh, I've had that really recently in Namibia where the indigenous communities have been promised so much when people go there and they've, they've been told they're going to get money, they're going to get, you know, exposure for the issues that they have and the voice that they want to have in the world and all of these promises and they all fall through. And so many of them will lack a trust and won't let you in and will just point blank say, no, I'm sorry, this is this is a closed door on you. And so he allowed us to access uh, the, the tribe leader, the, the chief of the YY tribe down in the very southwest of Guyana. And this little village, this tribe indigenous community is essentially in the middle of nowhere. Uh, they are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kilometers away from the nearest village. There are no roads in or out. So you, there's a little airstrip that, I mean, I'm not really sure you can call it an airstrip. It's quite an experience to land there. Um, and he organized pretty much everything for us. And so this is one of the things that I realized after years of doing solo expeditions where you get used to just having to push through yourself and, and do the best that you can. And you realize there's, there's a ceiling on that. There's a limit to how far you can go on your own. And that's where the beauty of me stepping into team expeditions with Laura and Pip Stewart. Those are the three of us girls who are fronting that. And um, yeah, all of a sudden doors open because you just, you, you on your own at and you other people and in this case it was the existing trust that the tribe had for the um, YY community and chief that allowed us to get in there um, and from that point on yeah we, we built a fantastic relationship that when we arrived there they were very 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 um, prickly I suppose is the word they were wary of us and it took probably a good two weeks of being on the river and trekking up river uh, to really build a solid relationship with them. And that was twofold. That was because A, we were outsiders, and even within Guyana, the YY tribe are marginalized. So it's not just external internationally, it's also internal in their country that they are pushed aside. And when we got there as three females coming into, you've got to realize this is that it's all well and good coming in saying, well, you know, female power and we're just going to go in there and we're going to show them that we're as strong as them and we're going to be as great. And the fact of the matter is that you're dealing with hundreds of years of culture and history of them being very traditional in the way that they do things. So it's not that they're anti it, it's that it's a shock to have three yeah. women trying to do men's stuff out there, to, to hack through thick jungle bush, to find the source of a river that's never been documented before, never been found, to hunt, to build each night when we had our camps, to clear the campsite and to build from scratch, from the materials that you find in the forest around you, your campsite and your structures and you know the fires and fishing. I mean, the list goes on of things and dealing with the tools and making the tools that we use there to hunt. And that was alien to them. And uh, I know this is a long-winded explanation of your question. No, it's amazing. We love it. We love it. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, but that was the extraordinary beauty of it, was these two worlds coming together. It was an international collaboration. Without them, we would never have survived in that jungle. Point mm -hmm. blank. I mean, we were good at what we did, but they. this is their backyard. 
And so we were, I mean, we were having close encounters with Jaguar. We were trying to, we started running out of food as we we're going. So it was literally subsistence hunting off of what was around us. Uh, at one point we stopped on the side of a river and the guys just bolted into this thick green wall of jungle and they disappeared and a minute later we just hear screaming as that there's these two tribes at war with one another what the fuck is going on here i mean this was serious business this isn't this wasn't mickey mouse club here and we were absolutely ghost like what the fuck do we do i mean i'm sitting there with my machete but i'm like still learning how to wield the damn thing what am i going to do and uh yeah another five ten minutes later they pop back out and you know big grins on their faces and they basically just had a bit of a bit of a war with the jaguar and the jaguar was hunting an armadillo and they wanted to steal the jaguar's lunch off of him and so there was this war and just yelling and screaming echoing and booming across this jungle and although they just pop out the other side you know like onto the rock with us and like yeah here's lunch you know dead armadillo and uh, yeah by the way this was supposed to be a jaguar's lunch it's now ours uh, it's just bonkers and so the skill sets that they taught us were extraordinary. And I really do, it's really important to me that people understand the, the role that they played in that expedition in making it happen and opening up their worlds, you know, as they slowly, we, we were absolutely persistent to an annoying point for them, I'd imagine, on learning these skill sets from them. And as I said, you know, they weren't used to the woman going out on these, as it were, hunting or exploratory expeditions with them. And at first they just wouldn't allow us to. They just wouldn't, you know, they'd tell us, stand back, we're doing camp. You just go stand there. You're not gonna hunt with us. You're gonna watch us hunt. Um, and that's because it, it was their job within their community and their society to be those winners of the food, to bring that back home. And we had to respect that. And I think that through, you know a drawn out long mutual respect of slowly learning to understand each other we came to a point where they uh turned around one day and i remember this is my personal experience obviously laura and pip had their own uh, individual experiences with them that they'll speak to you about hopefully you can get them on your podcast um but they turned around to me one day and it was probably one of the moments i'll remember the rest of my life with absolute clarity and they said you have just become our very first female warrior Wow. And that was, wow. you know, I know it sounds, it's hard to relay, but the emotion that goes behind that to understand, you know, the barriers, the, you know, the yeah. alienness in each other's worlds to overcome all of that. And, you know, the courage for them to allow us and, you know, to, you know, to just step into that world and to, to teach us was incredible. And um, it's, it's one of those, I would encourage anyone to, if you're wanting time out to, you know, go and explore and do an expedition and spend time with indigenous communities because it's incredibly humbling. And, and when you have an experience like that, it transforms your life yeah. from that forward. <laughs> yeah. Do, do, does, do you, when you speak to, uh, I, I, I have to use the word normal. So if you speak to normal people, <laughs> do, do they have any, uh, do, do they have any, um, you know, I, you know, you know, I've done you know done quite a lot of you know Monroe's in Scotland and stuff. So like you know, I have an idea of the wilderness and all this kind of stuff. But you know, there is people out there who, you know, only watch uh, you know reality TV and you know drive you know the the BMW. Did when you speak to any of these kind of normal people, do they have any idea how far they are removed from that life, or did they just not? Does it not like compute in their head? You know how far they are from that? 
Um, can I hold you one second? I see that my light is about to die. It's flickering in the background. Yeah, so are we able to cut and paste Yeah, it? I can paste that. I can cut and paste so that. And it's cool. We'll I keep it recording and I can cut going. it. Out. One second. Don't worry. What are you drinking? It's, um, uh, it's okay. uh, a little beer from Pit and Wayne. A little oh, local, okay. local. I'm, I'm, I'm at the age now. I mean, this, this can get caught. I'm at the age now where I'm drinking craft beers. One of those wankers now. It's like, oh yeah, I can really taste the the flavors okay. in this one. I'm at, that, I'm at that age now. It's a local craft beer, and you know, I'm cooler than you because you don't know what it is. I'm one of those guys now. It's yeah, called I like. Know, <laughs> I bet it's called like. Fisher, I bet it's called Fisherman's Jaggy mm. Jaw or something like that. Uh, it was. It was actually named. It's actually quite cool. It was actually named. There's th- I think there are three different beers. And they're named after um, uh, all different ships. Think like pirate ships from the Fife, the, you know, the Fort of Fife. Because that's where, um, round about there is where um, like the actual Robinson Crusoe's from. Is that that's Pitt and Weem, isn't it? Uh, no, but it's another one that that Robinson Crusoe was based on. Yeah, Andrew yeah. Selkirk. Andrew Selkirk that's spent right. time in Pitt and Weem. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. Alexander just, Selkirk. Sorry, Alexander Selkirk. We're just talking amongst ourselves here, Ness. Sorry. <laughs> I know. I can um, I can relate. Uh, all craft beer and age thing. It, it happens, male and female alike. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm at that age. So sorry. Yeah, I can't remember. what was, what did I say? We were asking uh, about normal people in BMWs and oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, you know, if you're speaking to, um, you know, like I say, not like I say, normal people. Like, you know, because not everybody goes uh, off adventuring to, you know, the far depths of the world. You know, if you're speaking to any of these people and, and you know, their biggest concern is that, you know, maybe there's no makeup left and, and you know, that, you know, they, they don't know what BMW to buy next. And do you know, how, you know, how, you know, has it, do they have any concept of what you're doing? Wow. Okay. How, I've, I've been asked this question many times. Okay. <laughs> it makes me think. Um, Yes, because I think that in the last 10 to 15 years, we've had some level of exposure through documentaries that have given people beautiful insight into that kind of world of exploration. And I think that especially with the, the advent of social media, that's that's become quite a, a prominent thing in people's lives is living almost vicariously through mm. others. And that doesn't just go for exploration, it goes for any industry, it goes for any type of person, you know. For me, I'm now living vicariously through farmers because that's an interest of mine now. Um, so I yes and no, I, I won't lie to you. When all of us come back from expedition, it's the age-old thing, um, bog standard, is that there's an adjustment period because you go from living very closely with nature you go from a very simple life where it is, it's, you step back in time. You really yes. do. Uh, and it's, it's a rare thing in modern society to be able to flex those muscles of survival, of going back to our core fundamental capabilities as a human being, as a species, where you're not at the top of the food chain, but you're somewhere in the middle, um, mm. you know, and, and, and you, you're vulnerable and to to and then a city and be faced with people talking about the most i i hate to say the word but you know it's 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 almost the mundane things mm, yeah 
that you know like really are you, are you worried about that nail polish or are you worried about you know whether your tires are that sparkly or not on the next person's more i mean it it's hard i won't lie to you because it's apples and oranges it's i don't think you can sit here and, and compare those two worlds at all because and neither is better or worse than the other that's the one thing i will say about that because once i've adjusted after a few weeks i'm in that world too because that is reality and that is the the challenges that we face nowadays are in completely different ways as challenging as the challenges of survival back in that day in that simplistic you know realm of survival of the fittest mm-hmm. they're just different and so yeah i do find it really hard sometimes to you know go to a dinner party or you know one of these cocktail you know events in london or just even even to my family and i'm full of these stories of stealing a jaguar's lunch off them and falling asleep at night and you know feeling this brush of a tail beneath me and looking to the side and jaguars walking off and waking up at four in the morning and my alarm clock is howler monkeys i mean it's so different you know (laughs) and sometimes that goes down like a lead balloon in a way because it is just too far-fetched for the realities of what people are facing right now which is very real realistic challenges which is not not and i slip back into that too because that is life and so yeah it's it is it's a weird world and i think what fascinates me the most and part of the reason why i continue to do that and go on these expeditions and be fascinated by that world and survival is because i'm i love storytelling yeah you know, and I, why do we watch movies? Why do we read books? It's because we love that escape into this fantasy world of, of, of stuff that is just so far from our worries that we're in right now. So from that side of things, I often find people absolutely don't have a problem with understanding my world because mm. they need it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Do, do you... They can't be on it doesn't mean that they don't need it. Have you ever been surprised when you come back, and and this relates to something I've thought for a while and something I saw years back, which I can go into, but are you ever surprised at how rude people are when you come back from being in the jungle, being with the, you know, the indigenous people, and then suddenly, as you say, you're in London and it's the hustle and bustle, and because there's that disconnect of, you know, what's London got, 7 million people or something, as opposed to the tribe of 150 people for argument's sake, there's that massive disconnect and people have that tendency to be massively rude in cities does that ever come as a shock or have you noticed that when you've came back at all i think i i wouldn't i wouldn't label it rude i would labor it label it um there can be an abruptness but i would label that as stress <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's that's super interesting because i've never thought of it that way and this is something that i've said so many times before um you know, when I'm in Edinburgh or, or you know, Glasgow for work, mm. I would always say rude. Um, and even just when, you know, I, I went up um, in the summertime there, I'd never been up Arthur's seat in Edinburgh, you know, the old volcanic rock. And mm. um, nobody said hello. Absolutely nobody. Yeah. And then you go to, you know, the next week, I was, uh, you know, two weeks later, I was in Isle of Sky, and everybody says, hello, how are you doing? Where are you from? And all this kind of stuff. And, and But I've never thought about it in the, in the sense that people may just be stressed out because they're going to a job that they hate. Yeah, and you know, maybe, yeah. their kids, maybe their kids have been assholes and got kicked out of school and they're yeah. struggling with payments on mortgages and things. I've never thought about it that way before. 
Well, look, we we we're evolved for, I mean, two hundred thousand years in terms of going back to, for example, the sand bushmen and their civilization, and you know, like in really understanding that far back and we look at life being incredibly simple and not i don't mean simple in a bad way it was incredibly difficult but we've introduced technology and we've introduced machinery and we've introduced economy on a scale that is unprecedented and a population global population that is just bursting at the seams and this is something so new and so alien to the human species to, to our race i mean it's just phenomenal and so what I've found, which is, and this is why I do, I get frustrated, but I respect the fact that people can be abrupt when I come back. Um, because A, we're dealing with population numbers that are far beyond the, you know, 50 or 100 and 150 people in a very small community in the middle of nowhere who are very tight knit, you know, it's complete, it's, you can't compare that. Yeah. Um, but also, the, the stresses that I see is when I go into these indigenous communities, into these tribes, it's the, the stress levels, it's, it's acute stress, not chronic stress. So, for example, when you're on a hunt, your adrenaline goes high. Mm. And this is food or no food. This is eating or not, starving or thriving. And adrenaline is high, and for that moment, or when a jaguar comes into your camp, or if you, you know, you're faced with, uh, you know, you've in the African wilderness, and suddenly you come around the, the bend, and you've got a bull elephant in front of you, and it's you and nothing else, and this thing is pretty pissed off with you. That is acute stress that you deal with in that moment. It's very high stress levels and very high adrenaline, and then it's done, and that fades away. And you go back to you know the daily grind and the routine of doing what you do and what i found is coming back here suddenly you know that that fit well with i just it, i could feel my my stress levels easing away that in a way that i'd never felt before it felt natural it felt yeah. very very normal and natural and then you come back into our modern society and I've got my mobile phone that every single time it pings, I've got this, it's not the kind of adrenaline rush that I'd have when I'm face to face with, you know, a bull elephant. It's, it's a stressor that goes and then it pings again and it pings again. And I've got this, you know, adrenaline rushing and, you know, your phone's ringing and this is happening and the bills are coming through and you open your mail and it's not what you want. And you've got to do this and that event and go to this place and you, you know, your kids are, you know, not doing what you want and you've got to get them out. It's just, there's just so many things happening that we're absolutely overwhelmed. And so that stress that should just be a spike and then a decrease and dissipate is a lower level, but consistent throughout our days, every day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Mm. Unless we get the rare holiday that we go off and we actually put our phone down don't work remotely which is very rare these days and i think that is what is kind of pushing people to the limit these days and it's it's testing us you know it's testing human beings in a way that we've never been tested before and we're in a realm that we don't yet understand fully and we're you know we're putting our body up against uh the chemicals on a level of consistency of being higher that we've never experienced before and i think that's an interesting space you know the the physiology and the psychology that comes with that and when you start looking at chronic d disease and and what stress does to you and and so 
I know this. Sorry, I do go off on tangents. So bear with me. Oh, tangents. Great. I love it. Right. Um, Is that? Yeah, I I come back and it frustrates me, but I respect it when I come across that abruptness because it's hard. It is hard. It's a different kind of hard, but it's hard. Yeah. Do you find uh, one of the things that I I find is you can't um, sort of worry about what everybody everybody's doing. All you can do is is do your best. Uh, and be kind to everybody, mm. uh, and try and be the best person you can be. No, it's not. Yeah. You know, if, 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 you know if, I just find if you're nice to people, uh, and one of the things that I started doing maybe last year was every time you had dealt with somebody, you know, whether it was in a, a petrol station or a shop or, or you know whatever it was, it's just saying have a nice day. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of these things where sometimes people look at you like, oh. oh. Thank you, and it's the kind of, and it's just those small things where, you know, they you know they might walk away going, what a, what a nice guy. Obviously, they don't know me, but um, you know they might they might say you know what what a nice guy. Mm-hmm. And it's these little things where I think if everybody does these little things and it helps lift every you know I love the saying you know a rising tide lifts all ships. I love that saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if everybody just put out these. I, mean, I don't want to sound like a hippie and say, you know, positive vibes, but if everybody was nicer, you but, like you know, <laughs> I don't I don't want to be a hipster drinking craft beer saying, you know, positive vibes. <laughs> um, you know, namaste. But, uh, you know, <laughs> you know just, I just feel like everybody just did their own little bit. Yeah. I just, yeah. We could all be nicer to everybody to everybody else and, and just help everybody because, you know, everybody's going through these same things, you yeah. know, almost everybody. Um so yeah, I just feel like you know everybody could play their own role, and it just so that one of the, one of the um, another one of the, my favourite little sayings is uh, uh you know Scott Archison, who's no longer with us, was a uh, you know the, the lead singer of uh, Frightened Rabbit, or a Scott a Scottish band. Mm-hmm. And they have a song, and it, it it's like a little phrase that they've got now. It's just make tiny changes, like while I'm alive, I'll make tiny changes to earth, and it's such a brilliant mm-hmm. phrase of just these tiny little things that you could do everybody around about you you know it's you don't you don't have to you know a one you know nest night does not have to um get rid of plastics from all around the world but if you do your own little bit you know doing your own little bit on your nice new farm you can influence people around about you and then they make a difference and it's just one of these things where you know you go everybody can do these things sorry now i'm going off on a tangent sorry not agree more I bang the drum for this is that you know there's two things here one is that I, I don't think anyone should ever ever and I sounds like really cheesy and you know but the catalyst that just a few words can have in someone's life never underestimate that because I've heard stories that you know people have been on the brink of suicide that a kind word from a stranger it just in passing has completely taken them back from the edge of that cliff and you just can't underestimate that and I, I think the other thing for me that I found and especially in the work that I've done now and and what in a way propels me forward in my career for the rest of my life with great passion and enthusiasm is that ripple effect and it's easy to disregard it is that you know you you pop a little stone in the middle of a pond and it has a few little ripples that go out but what you don't understand is that that will affect people around you well, they'll be changed and affect people around them. And that goes on indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Literally, yeah. it goes on indefinitely. And when when you see the expansion of that and the trajectory yeah. of that, it's not to be underestimated. So I know it sounds really hippie, but it's 
absolutely and you see that when you travel around the world and you see that when you broaden your horizons and go and see these communities is that i mean i've just earlier this year as i said i've been out to to the san bushman in northeast namibia in the nainai region and their entire civilization now bear in mind this is the oldest civilization on the planet so they've done something right because if you think about how many civilizations yeah. have come and been at a peak and crashed and burned and turned to ashes and dust and these guys are still there and they still hold the same ethos the same values they're still going strong they're still going and everything that they ride on within that community is about kindness kindness to one another of understanding and when they go out and hunt they come back and there is no ego whatsoever there's no hierarchy interestingly enough absolutely no hierarchy and everything is shared and that's where peace comes you know when when i went out there i was i was chatting to some guys who had, had been there for a very long time and you know had had stories from the original folk who had, had you know gone up and explored and found the sand bushman and and story goes that one chap um i think he was british he went out there i think probably around the 1960s and he asked them if they'd ever had a war and they said to him well what is war and he explained to them, you know, when two people or two worlds or two tribes or countries fight one another and have a battle and, and people die and they fight and then there's a winner at the end of it, you know, or when they have an argument and, and you know, they, they disagree on politics or whatever it may be and they fight. And they said, oh, well, yeah, I see, you know, I suppose we've had one. And he was like, well, tell me about this war. And they said, well, there were these two brothers and somebody from the outside brought a pot and they, the one brother wanted to keep the pot, but it was supposed to be going to the other pot, the other brother, and then that was going to be shared around the community. And they had an argument and, and then they resolved it. And so, yeah, I guess we have had a war. And it's just the perspective <laughs> that you start getting from that. It's like, wow, you know? Yeah. Um, and that all, every every bit of their success as a civilization for 200,000 years rise off the back of being kind and being collaborative and in a community and lifting people. Isn't, isn't it hilarious? Isn't it hilarious that if you, if you take the concept of war and break it down to like, dumb it down to like the lowest level and explain it to somebody who doesn't understand what war is, yeah. They're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Exactly. So, so, so essentially, two people disagree with each other, and then you'll you'll spend billions of pounds to kill each other, but you don't kill the two people that are arguing. You kill yeah, right. Everybody yeah, else around Kill by proxy. Kill by proxy. Like, yeah. if you explain that to somebody, you just be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Just, why would you do that? I know, you put a mirror up to society that we're in and go, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> so we really got it wrong, didn't we? When you, yeah, when you dumb it down to that level, you think, that's well, idiotic. Like, why would yeah. anybody do that? Um, yeah. I think yeah. I think one of the things as well that's causing an issue, and again, this is a slight tangent, but yeah. for as much as we probably communicate more than ever as you were saying this where your phone continually ping in social media emails text messages yeah. all the rest of it skype you know zoom calls people have forgotten how to actually talk and communicate though mm. if that makes sense because that's one of the things you said chris wasn't it like from doing these podcasts we both have became better at speaking listening. but most importantly as well listening because a lot of people will just wait on their turn to speak 
rather than actually listening to what's being said. And that's, I find that's changed massively. Yeah, 100%. you know, yeah. you know that with everything that's been going on as well. And I think that's definitely had an impact on that stress level compared to before. It's really interesting. I couldn't agree more. And it's this funny old thing. I've thought long and hard when all my expeditions about this. And it's a catch-22 is that we found ourselves so drowned in the noise of social media, of work, mm. of emails, of TV, of all of the stuff. And it's, un as I said, it's unprecedented in, you know, the history of human beings. And and it's a catch-22 because in, in amongst this noise, there's a natural human instinct because we are communal creatures we are from communities we are mm -hmm. we are social and we have a need to be heard and to be heard you have to shout and so you get caught yeah. up and it's like hear me hear me hear me hear me and you forget to listen and you know you're one of those people that aren't listening when you want other people to listen to you and it's just this perpetual cycle of people wanting to be heard but not listening yeah and it's, yeah, it's it's scary actually. I, I that's part of the reason that I'm just so absolutely ecstatic to be setting down a few roots with my man Jake and getting our farm going and building a community around that is because I've understood the absolute enormous value in that in terms of just well being. Yeah, yeah. People, people as well, along with that. Yeah. I feel, yeah. I, I feel like we should get some like whale music on and just start a little group meditation thing going in. We better vent you in the background, a bit of you sail away or something. But uh, along with that noise, though, people is, uh, and again, I've been guilty of it as anyone. But you get caught a lot of the time in that echo chamber as well within mm. social media of just you know throwing out the noise and it comes back to you as positive because. It's mm. feeding back, you know, whether you're for it or against it, it'll, it'll either feed back stuff that you agree with and you'll respond to it accordingly yeah. or it'll see something that's the polar opposite to what you believe and it forces you to react to it with, as you were saying this, that spike of adrenaline of, yeah. I can't believe someone's posted that, that's, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna angrily comment alongside that or you see one where you go, oh, yeah, I totally agree with that, I'm going to like that, I'm going to reshare it. Yeah, People get caught in that that whole mix up totally and I, I just think that it's, it's it's really simple as um you know we're, we're all prone to it. i'm prone to it. it doesn't matter how much i've traveled you know i'm not immune to that at all um i'm a human being we all are human beings and i i think it's just a case of becoming a little bit more mastered over the years through through time and effort and conscious you know consciousness about this issue of choosing your filters of what you want to take in and what you don't. And I think that it's really important that we understand that the social media and the world that we're in and the amount of information that we're exposed to and opinions and, and you know, insights into stuff that we'd never, ever previously have had any inkling about. That's really important. That's hugely important. And I think that it's just a case of we have to become better because we're in such infancy and early stages of, you know, this online world. Yeah, well, we have to give ourselves a break because it's quite hard to to learn and go through that teething period of understanding, yeah. how to manage it. Well, I, I was just going to say there, you know, we are all Ali's a little bit older, but we're all round about the same ages. I think we are probably the last last generation of people who really remember growing up without the internet. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so and we're I'm probably the last. For that. My goodness. Yeah, yeah totally. you know. like my boys, I've got, I've got three kids nest but my two boys are about to turn 18 and 17 
they can't yeah. remember it. I have an 11 year old daughter. She she doesn't even remember not being at a pause live TV, yeah. which still freaks me out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <that> is... <laughs> I remember. Yeah, when you put it like that, I think my childhood was just completely, yeah, free of all of that. And no, I am grateful for that. I do agree. Yeah. I remember the first time, I, just, I, I absolutely remember being about 13, maybe 13 ish. And, you know, we had a computer, you know, a big old computer, and it, you know, it was dial-up. And I can yeah, remember yeah. getting on, getting on, it was like, you know, the, the dial-up, and it was like, oh, I'm on the internet. Like, <laughs> what do I look at? I was, <laughs> I, 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 what do I look at? I was just like, I'm, I'm on the internet. This is amazing. Do you know what I mean? It was like. I'll never forget that dial-up tone. Never. No. That tone. <laughs> then, that's right. Yeah. But yeah. Did, what was, um. You know, did, did you know how how was it in so where about in, in South Africa were you from originally? Uh so contrary to what you'd imagine because of the career that I've had for the last ten years, I grew up in Johannesburg, which okay. is a concrete city. Um it's got enormous character. Uh sometimes for the better, <clears throat> the the music and the creative scene is in there is phenomenal. Um there's culture that blows your mind. Um, but at the same time, <clears throat> sorry, but at the same time, it's, it's raw, it's edgy. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a world where um, there's a lot of violence and where you, you are, you know, you're, you're exposed, very exposed. And that's because you have this, you know, polarized world of the very poor and the very rich. And there's very little in between of that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I grew up in Johannesburg and uh, hugely grateful for that. I think, you know, that was, that was a very formative, you know, experience to, to grow up amongst that and also quite humbling. Um, but I was on the doorstep of the big wild wilderness of Africa and the, that yeah. was holidays. And so we used to, to head out and escape, you know, the, the concrete city and jungle to to the big plains of you know African savannas and the wildlife and the lions and the elephant and the rhino and you know yeah it was beautiful absolutely beautiful and I think that is where unconsciously the the seeds were planted for where I'm at today. Yeah, it's been uh, uh, you know not a bad place. No, but you know if you think about being you know in Africa, all the things that they're you know there to see and one of you know actually this this again we're going off on little tangents here. One of the coolest things I ever heard was you know I love Henry Rollins. Um, uh, you know, he was a you know the punk man Black Flag, and he's been in some movies and stuff. Uh, Sons of Anarchy. Uh, you know, when he was in a when he was in a band, you know, he, he was telling the story, and he said, um, you know, a reporter said, you know, you must have seen a lot of the world, mm. and he said, well, yeah, yeah, you know, Australia, Japan, Europe, and then he's like, why have I never been to Africa? Mm. So then Henry Rollins tells all these fantastic stories of just booking a trip to. I can't even remember where he started, and he just started working across Africa and and, and met sort of tribal leaders, and they took him to like a, a local music festival, and how unbelievable it was, and it's just one of these things you're like, fuck, this sounds so cool. I really wish I had the 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 bottle to go. I'm just gonna go and you know cycle across Bolivia. That's just you know I, mean, I wish I wish I had that in me. Um, yeah, yeah I, I don't I, you know I like an adventure into the Highlands, but not um not to that extreme. Or or cycle across the northern right. Namib desert like Ness Knight did. Yeah. Oh, that was great fun. I so where did what, that come from? <laughs> um, yeah, that was a really straightforward one. Um, 
but yeah, once Africa, once you've stepped foot on there, that that dirt, that red dirt, is in your blood, and you'll you'll never, you know, it'll be in your heart forever. Africa's got this special thing of any continent I've been to. Africa's just just got this magical, ancient, special spell that it puts. Mm. On me. Um, but yeah, the Namib Desert, Namibia, goodness. Um, I cycled solo. It was the first ever cycle from north northern border with Angola. Uh, down to Swakopmund, <clears throat> and that was that was um, bordering the the world's most ancient desert, the oldest desert in the world, and so really, really spectacular, and as I said, very ancient part of the world, um, and that came about through. I was incredibly lucky, actually. I I went and did did a talk in London at uh, I think it was uh, in in January. There's the um, it's, it's an adventure festival. I, Get the name of it now, but uh, a good few years back, I did I did a talk there, and in the audience was uh, some folk from Red Bull who had a little bit of money in the kitty and some ideas of, you know, expanding Red Bull into the world of exploration rather than just adrenaline sports. And I was speaking about fear at the time and how you deal with that and overcome it, and and you know the importance of fear actually uh, in life, and and that it serves a purpose. And they approached me afterwards and said, "Listen, you know." we loved your chat about fear and we just wanted to say to you if we gave you the budget where in the world would you go anywhere like here's an atlas point where you would want to go and why and what you would do there <clears throat> and it was a no-brainer for me you know I grew up I grew up in South Africa and I'd never been to Namibia and that was you know a bordering country and I just heard spectacular things about it it's 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 really it's otherworldly it's quite a strange place. It's very low population there. So wilderness is just sprawling and spread out. I mean, it's it's a place where you connect with wildlife. And and I just didn't know very much about it. And so, yeah, I said, this is the place. And you know what? I've never been on a fat bike. And what I tended to do in the early years of my career was try and find a discipline to do that lent itself to the place that I wanted to go. So, you know, whether that was kayaking or swimming or walking, um, mountaineering, in this case, it was um, desert and it was uh, arid um, and dry, rocky and unknown, completely unknown. There was very little um, that anybody could tell me about the regions that I wanted to go to. And the only thing I could think of was, well, you know, if a, if a fat bike can go on snow, and deal with that wide footprint, like an elephant. Yeah, footprint. Yeah. Yeah. And you can just, you know, let out some of the gas and you can go over pretty much any terrain imaginable, then heck, that's what I'm gonna do. And they said, yeah, we're in, hell. <laughs> this fits the bill and, and the idea was born and off I went. That's that would be one of the coolest things of what old you know, if Red Bull came and said, Any you know, there's a budget, where would you go? That's like that yeah. would be like fuck yeah. <laughs> that made my year i mean come on anyone coming up to you saying hey i got some money where do you want to go oh yeah <laughs> you're an expedition like yeah. i'm in <laughs> yeah. how do you how do you stay um you know having done some cycling and things like how how do you stay uh in in shape to do that stuff year round to just jump to be able to jump on a bike at you know, because if somebody said to you, you know, you have to cycle a thousand miles, you know, in three months time, that you have to be in a fairly, you know, good physical state just to be able to think about doing that in three months time. Um, so how, how what, you know, 
Do you do? You, do? <laughs> you should. <laughs> should be okay. You just land, just land on, just land on the go. But if you, uh, you might lag on some of it. Yeah, yeah. I've I've had times where I've prepared for expeditions where I've you know I've known what's up ahead and you know the the sensible thing to do is to be incredibly prepared. Um, this time round. I was very human and I, I was not, I won't lie, as most of my fitness I I accumulated along the way. And you know, it's I think this was off the back of a few years earlier, having done a solo cycle across America. Mm. And just prior to that expedition, I had stand up paddleboarded a thousand miles down the Missouri River. As you do. And I built up this upper body of a rugby player. I mean, it was phenomenal. I was enormous. I'd literally doubled in size in my upper body, but I had these piddly little legs, you know, because half the time I was kneeling on the board, you know, I didn't really need to use my 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 lower body body that much. I should have, but I didn't. And um I I just decided that I wasn't done yet. I didn't want to go home. I wanted to cycle across America and I just got on a bike and the first week was hell, absolute hell on earth. I've never felt pain like it before or since. And I realized that it literally only took me seven days for my body to, yes, go through probably being prone to an enormous amount of injury, which is not clever. So you know kids at home not condoning that but it's what i did and i i realized how our bodies are unbelievably able to adapt very 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 quickly mm. uh, in situations and within seven days i was fit as a fiddle my lower body was transforming before my eyes i was growing muscles at a rate of every single day i'd wake up and go oh my gosh like where did that come from you know that wasn't there yesterday mm-hmm. and so i think i just went into the namibia expedition on the fat bike a little bit lackadaisical a little bit kind of cocky and overconfident and thinking well it'll be fine i'll do okay it's not a problem it's not that far yeah. and um yeah i went through hell on earth again (laughs) um not only because of the physical adaption adapt adapting uh to the environment um you know of bicycle but i was in 49 50 degrees celsius heat and i had planned on there i was banking on there being these water sources all along the way because i'd looked at you know google aerial maps and i thought it was all clever about that and i'd be like oh well there's a water source and there's a river and there's this and there's that and uh yeah if you're planning on anything like this do get in touch with local people and don't be too cocky but mm. go and ask them what the climate is doing for the last few years because things are changing and Namibia was had been in the grip of a four year long drought which meant that all of my water sources were dried up Um, so I ended up having to make a last minute kind of hashed plan with some of the crew to put some water caches along the way but I wanted to try and do it as naturally as possible so that pushed me to my physical limit of being completely dehydrated absolutely exhausted sleep deprived um dealing with heat exposure that was just off the charts and um yeah you know it, it just didn't go down very well and um you know I ended up in a situation where uh, I think it was about halfway down I'd, I'd been through the total wilderness where there was no people no wildlife no nothing it was too arid and too too desolate and I'd finally got to these oases and water sources and um, by that time although I had the water sources and the food resources around me 
what I didn't have was um, anything left in the tank and I'd been battered and bruised by the environment and mm. I ended up coming, you know, 200 meters from a fresh lion kill and lost consciousness. Bloody stupid thing to do. I was in the middle of lion territory. I mean, it was ridiculous. And so, yeah, I guess, you know, you, your body can adapt and can do these things, but pick and choose where and when you decide not to, <laughs> you know, that's, do the right that, training. Because training, no, that's, training that's one of the... to another level. Yeah. That's one of those interesting things where you, you say when the, the tank's empty. I, this is a thing that I explain to people. So I failed last year the Keltman Triathlon. Uh, it's an extreme iron distance. So I, I failed that. And I remember saying to people, uh, I, I'd made a few mistakes. Um, and I, the tank was empty. And I remember being on the road. And it was a, 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 I got off my bike. And I remember phoning the crew and saying, come and give me some food or something. And there was a lay-by... 50 meters in front of me and i couldn't make it i just lay on the grass and like starfish went, That's yeah, yeah. i'm not going any further and people go you couldn't make 50 meters and you go no when you're when you're not just like i'm a little bit tired yeah. no it's like i can't keep moving these pedals like it's a bizarre feeling yeah. um so yeah that and, and also it's quite funny when you talk about the you know, 40 you know 40 50 degrees i did uh <laughs> i did um uh, Mont Blanc marathon and it was I think it would be 35 degrees when I did that mm. and obviously being from Scotland we're not used to that and I <laughs> you're had not for that, are you? no no, no, no <laughs> I didn't take anything like enough water I remember running down a hill to a checkpoint and I thought my ACL had snapped and I just everything had cramped up so much and I didn't take any salts with me luckily somebody gave me some food and I kind of hobbled my way back down to a checkpoint but like I don't think people could understand how i mean like that's 35 that's 15 you know degrees yeah. below what you were in that, that is insane like yeah. absolutely insane it's exhausting and i imagine yeah. what you had which was something over what i had i had a dry heat which in a funny way is a little bit easier it's it's deceiving you think that you're okay because there's this dryness to it you're not you're not in this humidity that's suffocating yeah. And that's dangerous. But what you would have had was just this complete overwhelming, you know, com in compared to what I had yeah. in the desert. And that has an effect that really does Awful. hit you. Really struggled. I've never, I've always all been, you know, one of those people, whatever, on holiday going, yeah, the heat doesn't bother me. And I'm not worried about the heat. Um, yeah. And, I, you know, doing that, I was like, holy shit, like staggering into trees and having to hold on to trees. And yeah. I remember yeah. just sitting, you know, there's a couple of little streams going through people's like back garden and just sitting in them just to get my bum yeah. wet because it yeah. felt like it was yeah. relieving everything yeah. it was horrible it's real isn't it yeah oh, and, yeah and, you know and the, and the difference is that wasn't really desperate i was only ever really probably a mile from somebody's house at any one point you, you're in the middle of literally nowhere yeah it's way hotter yeah. <laughs> and did and that, there did isn't that, anybody there. Yeah. <laughs> did I, that's, yeah, there's nobody there. There's nobody there. Yeah. Did, did, um, did I hear you saying this on, and I'm sure it was on um, Jason Fox's Wild Tales podcast, I listened to you, and one of your crew said when you're on the bike, you do look a little bit like an antelope <laughs> when you're going through yeah. lion country. 
Yeah, no, so basically that's absolutely true. Um, I, I was going through what they call line country, line territory. Um, so the first third of my journey from the border with Angola down south, um, because of the, the climate change that had happened and the drought that had happened, all the the nomadic uh, Himba communities that had lived up there, all of the wildlife, the desert elephants, every everything, the, the desert lions had moved south. So there was nothing, 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 nothing. And then you suddenly hit these oases and, and this lush, beautiful region. And the lions are jam-packed. I mean, like shoulder to shoulder flipping. You cannot turn a corner without being, hey, what am I going to come across here? And so during, and it's, it's also a conservation region. And so legally, I, I have to have a, what they call a lion warden, <laughs> which sounds quite bizarre. but uh, it's basically one of the the guys uh, running one of the big conservation parks there, uh, one of the main wardens there, and he would be in his Land Rover driving, you know, 5k, a few k ahead, sometimes 10k, and he would be on radio um, when he was within reach for me, and he would just let me know, look, you know, there have been lions crossing your path here, or we've seen them, we've had a, a sighting of them in this region, which is quite close to where you're going through the canyons, just be aware of that. And he'd try and kind of safeguard me by feeding back information. And what he did say to me the morning that we set off for this, where I, you know, is my, yeah, you know, I was shitting myself to be honest with you. <laughs> I grew up in Africa, but I mean, you know, on your own out there. And the film crew would only meet me at certain points, you know, strategic points. So I wasn't, I was on my own for 90% of the time. And um, he said, yeah, I'm sorry, Ness, but I, I do have to be blunt with you. Just, you know, the real, the reality of this is that you're on a bicycle and to a lion, you look like a big, juicy, tasty antelope. So we'll stay in contact and I'll let you know when they've crossed your path, but just, just, just stay calm. And I was like, what do you mean? How, how the fuck do you stay calm if you come face to face with a pack of lions? Um, and he said, he gave me this funny story actually. And it's, it's best told if, you know, if there's a way for people to, to watch a video of this, that would be good. Are you guys doing this on YouTube? Oh, we put it on YouTube as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so if you're listening to this on the podcast at this point, transfer, go over it, watch the YouTube bit. But um, subscribe, bell, you're there. <laughs> yeah, he, he he had this little glint in his eye, and he thought it was quite humorous, you know. And he, I mean, he's been in the African bush for forty odd years. I mean, it's nothing to him, you know. It's just all amusing stories, and if if you get mauled by a lion, it's just another story to tell in the catalogue, right? So. Um, didn't plan on having that happen to me though. And he said, look, if you, I said, well, what, Fritz, what, what the hell do I do if I come across a pack of lions? And he said, well, yeah, that would be interesting. So what you do is, you know, you'll, you'll be face to face with them. They'll be X number of meters ahead of you and you just stand still for a moment. And they're, they're going to try and want to intimidate you. They're curious, you know, they might want to come forward a little bit and kind of, you know, they might be hungry. They might not. You don't know if they're not hungry, they're curious. If they're hungry, you're in the shit. Good luck um but hopefully they're just curious and they'll take a few steps forward and they'll kind of give you this look and uh, at that point i want you to take a big step to your left and a big step backwards and stay very very still look very confident look them in the eye don't look scared don't look away then they're going to get even more curious and they want to come forward maybe they're a little bit hungry you know and they're, they're going to come you know you're going to be feeling the hairs on the back of your neck and you're going to be feeling like this is the end of your days and you know good luck to that and i want you to take a big step to your right and then a big step back and this is going to go on a few times until the point that um they lose interest in you or they get really hungry and they go for you 
and if you're lucky enough that they lose interest in you, you know, that ahead of you, you're going to look ahead and just see a trail of shit. So you're going to shit yourself. So that's why you take a big step to the left, big step back. You shit yourself. You take a big step to the right, big step back. So you avoid stepping in your own shit and spalling on your ass. And you take a big step. So, oh, God. Okay. You know, you're really not instilling confidence in me. This is not going down well. Um, I'm, I'm at... I'm afraid. I'm literally afraid at the edges. I'm dehydrated. I'm about to fall over. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny, you know, like you get these old leathered, battered and bruised old guys that have been, you know, in the African sun for their entire lives. And they just love it when you get this, you know, very British white skins turning pink in the sunshine, you know, and peeling away. And you just like, you're shitting yourself and they love it and they play off of it and they got this glint in their eye and yeah. But luckily enough, I mean, when I did when I did um, lose consciousness, he he actually something told him to turn around and come back in his Land Rover, and um, he found me wandering around completely off my, you know, out of out of my mind. Just just yeah, I don't know if you've yeah. got experienced that when you when you push yourself to the limit and you start hallucinating, and and then past the hallucinations, you get to the point where you actually have this out of body experience where you you watch yourself from above, and that's. Oh, yeah scary place to be and that's what happened just before losing consciousness and um you know you you just you're not present in your physical body and then you pass out and you wake up and they tell you that you were off you know like 100 meters in that direction walking towards alliance you're off fucking hell you know yeah yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, i think when people um when people start telling you what to do if you're approached by alliance that's when you go i'm yeah. out <laughs> yeah, but I can't, get, get you know, helicopter <laughs> Hey, where in the world do you want to go? We've got this boatload of money. What do you want to do? And I was like, well, I picked it, right? Yeah. If, if the boat's that, if the, if the boatload of money is that big enough and you don't have somebody to protect you from lions 24-7, get a bigger fucking boat. <laughs> oh, wow. I had, to, I had to bruise and scrape my nose, didn't I? I had to get a little bit of credibility by going through the shit and making mistakes. But, yeah, you get humbled by your own mistakes, don't you? Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> one one thing that me and Chris have both done, and it's something that you've done in a, a similar vein, is we regularly and have done swam in the Firth of Forth. Ooh, chilly. Yes. Really you... chilly and a bit wild, no? It can be at times. And we've swam, both me and Chris have swam out like locks in Scotland, up the north coast, like wherever. Yeah. Um, especially I used to surf back when I was younger as well so you know you get used to it but you swam pretty much the entire length of the Thames oh yeah That's which it. might not be quite as cold but I would imagine at don't times go. that must have been to quote a Scottish word absolutely fucking mock it disgusting disgusting and dirty yeah. So I would say, I would say, if I was, if somebody said to me they were going to swim in like the Thames, I would say, yeah, don't, don't get any of that in your mouth. No, that's yeah. not going to end well. <laughs> okay, well, yes, on both counts, it's, it's what is it, mocha, 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 M A W K I T is probably how to spell it, mocha, mocha. Okay, it was definitely that, and definitely yes, don't put it in your mouth. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, look, the temperatures wouldn't have been anything like what you guys have done um, up in the north of Scotland and northeast of Scotland there. But um, I, it was cold enough that I was in a wetsuit three mil. And I guess the problem was when you're doing 10 hours a day every single day, that gets to you. And now I've got something called Raynaud's disease, which means that my body 
overreacts really early on to the te to uh, thinking that it should go into hypothermia, that it needs to protect me even at mild temperatures. So I'm not really designed for cold weather, and that strips all the blood from my fingertips and my extremities. And so I, I really felt it, I mean, pathetically so. Um, but yeah, day after day, that that did get the better of me. Um, and I guess the biggest thing with that journey, that um, swim was the isolation because you've got goggles on and it's brown murky water. You can't see shit all. Mm. You can't hear anything. You've got earplugs in your ears. You can't speak to anyone because your face is in the water the entire day. And you start going to place for 10 hours straight every single day with your own thoughts. And that's an interesting place to go to. So that was that was, that was something to get used to. Um, but yeah, there, there was, I think it was around Marlow that I remember a few locks before that. One of the gatekeepers, the lock keepers there had said to me, Oh yeah, no. Um, just just a heads up that we've tried to get this in the press for many years, and it has been in the press, but nobody's done anything about it. But when you get down near Marlow, I, correct me, I might be wrong about this. I'm pretty sure it was around Marlow, but there, there's a pump station. It's ancient. It's really, really, really old, and it's cracked and it's broken and it needs repairs. And they've literally got tape into the River Thames, like it's sectioned off a bit of the River Thames on the side there, and shit is leaking into the Thames River. And okay. nobody wants to take, they don't want to take responsibility for it. They're trying to hide it from the press and the, the media. Um, it's been, even when it was in the press and the media, not much happened to it. But just do breaststroke with your head above water, just warning you. I was like, hmm, maybe you're just over-exaggerating and, you know, you're one of these lot keepers that is just a little bit precious about, you know, your space. And is it really? Is it really? You know, I can't really find too much on this. And uh, as I got down to that location, lo and behold, there was this tape and it smelt pretty pungent. Um, and I, I, may, I might have been hallucinating, but I'm pretty sure I saw some dodgy looking things floating down the river uh, um, i'm pretty sure that's just the hallucination side of things though but yeah i tried to get, keep my head above water but i mean at that point in time i was trying to push so hard that i wouldn't get out of the water to eat and the only time i would was to get to a lock run across it straight back in the water and carry on because i was trying to do it in a decent fast time and i was just to be honest with you i was also just over it i just wanted to get out i just wanted it to be done mm. And so I would eat my food, like we'd get, you know, pizzas. I had um, somebody on a paddleboard who was supporting that, you know, and they'd organize to get food and we'd have these, you know, protein bars and all sorts of stuff and I would eat on the go. And so even through that section, I was literally eating food on the go, which means that it's like salmonella. I mean, you touch one thing, you've touched everything and it's this stuff, the shit is everywhere. Um, you can't see it, but it's there. And, you know, I think it was less than a day later, I started getting these stomach cramps and then it turned into chronic stomach cramps. And then I was doubled over in the water. I couldn't even swim. I couldn't take a single stroke. I was, um, I was struggling to get to the side of the river in time to be able to go and shit myself. And it was the point that you start shitting yourself inside your wetsuit that you have to peel it off in the river. I'm sorry, guys. I hope no, you're having their dinner. It's not really feminine, but I'm just going to tell um, and you wash it away and then you put it back on, right? And at that point, it was kind of like, okay, maybe I need to take a couple of days out here. Um, and I'd also heard a lot of um, talk about vile seas and, you know, that stagnant water on the side of the river. And, you know, if you get nailed by that, it's actually longer term issues than you would hope for. 
and so yeah I got chronically ill and I took some time off um a couple of days and when I was better I got back in the river but it's you know it's it's it looks idyllic from the banks but it's yeah. I like yeah. I like the fact that they put, I like the fact to put tape in the water as if that was going to keep the jobbies inside the tape. <laughs> <laughs> like, are they aware of how water works? Like, yeah, it's going to stay all inside that tape in the water. Jobbies oh, don't go exactly. past that. Like, I know. Like, that was my exactly the first thing that I said was I'm like, really? I mean, this stuff dissipates. You know what dissipating means, right? Yeah. You've heard yeah. that before. Like, it doesn't yeah. stay there just because you put tape up. Like, yeah, so. oh. Yeah, it's also funny. One one of the things that I I've explained to people before who who want to, uh, you know, friends who well, you know, really want to try some open water swimming, just because you're talking about um, shitting yourself in in the wetsuit. Um, and one of the funniest things to explain to people, okay, one of the first things you're going to have to understand is you will have to pee yourself in your wetsuit. Yes. So <laughs> practice it because you're kidding me going. You can't afford that. You just got to keep going. Just, 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 just do it. It's, it's a hard thing to do. What I say to people, you know what? See it as a positive. There's a silver lining to everything. And when you pee yourself in your wetsuit and it's cold water, it's lovely. It warms up 100%. It's lovely. Yeah, we used to do it regularly. When I surfed regularly in the winter in Scotland, the the funniest time I ever saw it was we'd been on like a five-day surf trip and I pretty much lived in our wetsuits. And as you said, Ness, you have to just wash them in the sea, and they do start to get a bit whiffy. But we decided at the end of we decided at the end of the the trip we would go for like a proper sit down meal. And my pal Stu was sat opposite me at the table, and I saw him laughing, and he went ha, and then he went like that, and he went, "I've got that used to just pissing when I needed to." I nearly actually pissed myself here because for so long, as you said, you're just like, ah, and I'm swimming and peeing and swimming and peeing. I don't mind. And he literally was obviously thinking, he's had a couple of pints, I thought, I need a piss. And literally went to just go, pish, at the table and remembered it. And he just, oh! Oh, God. My old panic is he nearly feed himself at the table in a restaurant. So there you go. There is nothing sexy about open water swimming. (laughs) No, this is true. This is absolutely true. You come out looking like hell, like you've been dragged behind a bus backwards. And yeah, there's it's very glamorous, like ablution sort of thing. I yeah. have a video someplace of coming out of the water from the Keltman last year. And it's hilarious because you look at yourself and you think, that look ridiculous. You can't get out of the water because it's, you know, single digits temperature. Mm. And you're trying to, obviously, you're in your head, you're going, I have to get out of my wetsuit really quickly. But you can't because you're trying to do it. You're fumbling, you're slipping on rocks and <laughs> you're cold, you're a little bit delusional. And it's you look at it and it's, one of my friends videoed it and you're going fucking hell man that that's 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 not uh you know that that's not that that's not the the, the moment to put online that's uh you look, look kind of ridiculous it's yeah but um so how how long were you like how long were you in the water for in total then because that's like i'm talking about short stuff you're talking about days um i think in total it was around two weeks or it might have been just because I had to take a break partway for a couple of days. I think it was maybe getting on two and a half weeks, something like that. It's a long time to be scratch my, my memory here. Um, I think it was around, yeah, it was definitely just past two weeks. Did you have, did you have problems um, because of where it was, you know, in, in the river? Was, was there any problems like sighting to kind of keep yourself... But you're trying to stay in the centre of the river, or we stay to the side. Is it hard to sight? And and or you know, because there's obviously so many buildings. 
Mm. Is that a difficult thing to do? Um, you know what? I didn't have too much of a problem. I mean, I just, I just, the bag was there constantly, and it changed shape and form. You know, when you get into being by the locks and by the, you know, yeah. people of the boats up there. But no, I, I didn't have a problem. I mean, it was just my, my, the pain in the ass of the goggles fogging up after a while. Um, and. I guess it was just, it would have been nice if it was, I mean, I wish I'd just gone to the Bahamas and done something there. So I could have seen under the water. That would be nice. Um, it would have been clever. But uh, no, I, didn't, I didn't have too much of a problem with sighting. And the other thing that I leveraged was that I had a support paddleboard with me. Oh, okay. And so quite often I just get bored of looking at the bank and, you know, I, I wanted to veer more into the center of the river. And at times, you know, the, it's quite a broad river. And so yeah. you're a distance away. And so it's hard to gauge that. And and so I just used the paddle border as my site um, to, to guide my way. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, a lot of change. Yeah. One of the things I would like to say as well uh, right now, if um, anybody from Red Bull is watching, is the next uh, expedition is how luxurious can you make uh, something for 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 Ness. Yeah. <laughs> how, how many five star hotels can you stay in in two weeks? <laughs> no, I'm tired of choosing the shit. <laughs> yeah. No, honestly. Um, but you know what? That's that's where a lot of people kind of say to me, like, "Are you sane?" You know, in in what you sometimes choose to go, you know, and take on, and just just the. You know, it's not pleasant when you're doing it. It's really not pleasant. It's like doing triathlons. It's just not fucking pleasant. Um, you feel like a hero afterwards, and you. I, don't know. I, I failed, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I think that's success in itself. I mean, you know, it's there's a huge amount you learn from that, um, and I'm pretty sure you'll tackle it again. Pretty I sure. Was, I was supposed to be in this year, and I'm going back next year. One of the problems, uh, and this is a ridiculous problem, is I forgot to take my padded shorts so i did probably, probably approaching uh 180 kilometers with no padded shorts on and Ooh. my bubble is <laughs> on fire and i think <laughs> underestimate understatement right there <laughs> and uh i also i like um uh, waxy may starch uh, powder you know you put it in water and you drink it. it's really just like a fast acting carb and i didn't realize until when i came back that that night i well you've already said it so i could not stop shitting <laughs> and uh, i realized that i was 18 months out of date so i was doing the whole thing oh, and, no uh, it was getting close i was going oh, man. oh this is not i don't feel my bum's not feeling good there's something wrong here and then uh, all hell broke loose and that was me i was uh yeah. On the toilet all night. It was amazing. Hey, credit to you. <laughs> to choose something that is 18 months out of date when your body's supposed to perform at its peak. Well, I didn't know it was 18 months Ooh. out of date. Yeah. <laughs> I, just I just didn't reorganise myself. Well, you won't but, make that um, mistake again, will you? I will not make that mistake again. That is for certain. So, <laughs> But yeah, those are it. You, do you have any have any interest in doing something along those lines? It'll probably have to be a little bit more extreme for you, I guess. You know what? I... Um, Gosh, where is it again? You know, you know the it's a it's a ultra marathon through the desert. Where uh, uh, Marathon de Sables? Yes, that is it. You know, for years and years and years and years, I wanted to do that, and it still eats away at the back of my mind that I would love to go through that. I don't know why, but I just really would. I think it'd be a really interesting experience, and 
Um, I, as much as it was hugely difficult in Namibia going across the, the desert there in 50, 49, 50 degrees Celsius, I, there's something that I don't know what it is, is something wrong with my personality is you go through hell and you I just love it. it to it. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong. It's some, there's a few screws loose and bolts yeah. around in my head that aren't quite bolted on right. But um, I just find it fascinating. I think it's because since a very young age, I was I was absolutely over overly interested in neuroscience and psychology. Mm. And to me, the ways that you learn a huge amount about yourself and others is to go through those kind of experiences. And I, I, I suppose I've, for for my early years of doing, you know, the first five years of these kind of adventures and expeditions, um, especially back then they were all solo. I think I used myself as a guinea pig to better understand psychology and neuroscience and mm. work. And yeah, I became addicted to that. And you know, so I would. I would love to see you tackle the disabilities. That's something I, I, I would, I, I think in my head I go that would be cool. I don't have that. I'm too, I'm too big. I, I couldn't manage that at all. There's I'm no way. Just not. Scottish. You're too ginger and Scottish. Oh, um, uh, well, James Cracknell. I mean, he's he's a big rower. I mean, he's a solid bloke. And uh, yeah, but they're, they're they're also professional athletes. I'm just a yeah. fucking idiot. I'm just a fucking idiot from Scotland. <laughs> uh, <there's>, yeah. <laughs> the guy to craft beer and all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Craft beer. Um, no. uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think that would be amazing. Surprise yourself. What really? about, um, do you fancy anything in, there's, there's, I, I did look at the disciples and it's it's quite a few thousand pounds centre. And there was also yeah. one in the Arctic, uh, an Arctic hundred oh, K or something. Yeah, that looks, that was one that I looked at, but that was, insane amounts of money like twelve thousand pounds to enter something yeah. crazy that yeah. looks amazing like properly amazing i, um, I just, you know what i think it's amazing and i i actually looked at i watched uh, some documentary where they showcased that and i thought you know what that'd be incredible but first i've got reynolds which you know is that thing i explained yeah. earlier where i might yeah. react and um the second thing is i just for twelve thousand pounds do you know what you can do, do you know yeah that you can go for more than just a few days and i just thought i can't justify that yeah it's you know money. at the same time it's it's one of those things that if you did do it it would be one of the most phenomenal memories ever yeah it's so, it's so different and it's not often that you get to find things that are completely wacky off the walls different I definitely can't do any of that stuff, so you have to do it, and then I could claim that I've done it because, yeah, I spoke to Ness once, so essentially I've done it. I will force you to live vicariously through it then. <laughs> yeah, be, yeah there's, there's quite a few, that, um, you know, these these endurance events are becoming more and more popular now, and, um, you, know, so, you know, just watching, like, Courtney DeWaller and stuff, and that's one of the things that's super cool is, is, is now, <clears throat> you know, with people like you, Courtney DeWalt on all these kind of you know r really amazing athletes um as you no longer have to say you know she's quite good for a girl you just go no no she's just fucking good she's just awesome that's oh, what that's right. do you know, do you know? It's, so it's, it's one of those things that's really cool to be able to say and you don't have to say it in like a kind of condescending you know she's quite good for a girl you know yeah you yeah know, She's amazing and she would kick your ass at everything. <laughs> uh, you know what the funny thing though is, I've I've learned this is that um I'm I'm not a fast and light person. So if you you calling me an athlete is the most 
in my mind, I'm like, no, that's ridiculous. You can't be, you, you just, that's not me. That's not me. Because when I was at school, I mean, I've got two left feet. I've got no sense of coordination. I was never hugely athletic whatsoever. I was so shy and introvert that I, I wouldn't open doors in public in case I opened the wrong way and people laughed at me. I mean, I was like the opposite of this, you know, super confident, athletic, go out and get it person. Um, but I realized that everyone's athletic. It's just you got to find your forte. So my forte is in a very long, arduous, harrowing, slow, plod yeah. and that because psychologically i can do that really bloody well so i'm not coordinated i'm not the super athlete the superhuman kind of person in that sense but i suppose i've i've trained my mind and that's mm. where people are like oh yeah you're a really good athlete you're a really good athlete and i'm like that's mental that's a mental yeah. game which is the same i suppose even when you translate it to a hundred meter sprint and those mm. top of the world you know like top of their game sub 10 second guys is that it's it's mental 80% of that is you know like you can do the training you can be consistent with what you eat with what you train you can be gifted in your body that you were born into and you, you know you can push through but if your mind's not there you'll fall yeah. flat and I'm sure you guys have come across this in jiu-jitsu is that if you're mentally not present and not there it doesn't matter how fit you are it doesn't matter how strong you are you're gonna fall apart yeah 100%, 100%. I mean Last last Wednesday, I was not my best, and Ali kept, very rarely Ali beat me up. Yeah. <laughs> that never happens. That never happens. No, it doesn't. So, yeah. It does. It's true. Yeah, it Ali doesn't. It very rarely happens. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's you true. You know. Feel... Oh, sorry, sorry, Ali. No, Ness, do you ever uh, feel pressure when you're talking like that, there, Nace, that you are seen as a role model for young women and young girls? Do you ever think about that? Because, like I say, I've got an eleven-year-old daughter, and I try and as well as obviously the world of TikTok and Instagram, I try and show people like yourself, like Laura, uh, Laura Zera that we had on, uh, like Courtney DeWalter, and say, do you know what? It's not just, you know, Kardashian. the Kardashians. It's not just the TikTok world. There are, uh, you know, there's this whole other, I was going to use the word spectrum, but that doesn't fit right in this situation. It doesn't feel right. But there's a whole other angle that you can go down. Have you ever thought about that? Or do you think that? Or Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't be in that world without thinking about it and being affected by it, can you? Um, and I, I take very, very seriously my role as a role model because when I was younger, I, you know, I, I struggled. I had, you know, I, I went through a tough time at school with friends and a little bit of bullying and things like that. And uh, you know, I learned a lot of compassion from that. And I, I, I was like, in South Africa, we didn't have a, a huge spectrum of female role models in terms of there were some in the sports spotlight but it was a very male dominated world um and i just you know like through those tough times that i had i could have done with some some really strong powerful female figures and and so i take quite seriously that if i'm in the public eye i need to do justice and do good by that and and um so i try and as best i can go through my time on social media and in you know in the public realms by i suppose to be blunt and honest a bit you know trying to be a bit of an antidote to the kardashian stuff um and i respect them as business people and you know it's, it's, but it's there's an enormous amount of pressure on young women and men um equally so 
these days and it's it's who can better the next person and and can you get the spotlight and are you getting the likes and it's it's a dangerous world to be caught up in and it's an easy one to be in a whirlpool of and so what i've tried to do with mine is keep it very much um you know you won't find me going out at the top of the mountain you know clad in a bikini and you know trying to sexualize anything of what i do and so you would look at me and you know in a way what i'm trying to create is something that is just about pure passion about a skill set and you know trying to master your knowledge and you know the direction that you want to go in life and and being strong within the things that really light you on fire um that are wholesome and healthy mentally and physically uh, and emotionally because it's it's a hard world at the moment out there for people growing up and I, I don't I don't envy the challenge that kids are up against right now and I don't think we should underestimate the challenge that they're up against and and so that's where I, I think we've you know I'm, I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by a community where everyone lifts each other up I mean you speak to Laura Zera and and the likes you know Kaifa No and all of those those girls and and they strive to lift each other up and and they're all about real hard skills and and real passion and that that is so refreshing and I love that and that's the world that I want to be a part of so um yeah hopefully I'm doing okay um I I think that there's just you know I always feel like I could do more I always feel like you know I need to step back and and take stock of what I'm putting out there and and whether or not I'm you know I'm doing justice to what I would have wanted as a kid and sometimes that means I mean you look at my social media recently and you'll see that there's not a prolific amount of posts you know I took a little bit of time out and I just have the feeling that I don't want to post for the sake of it I want to post if I have something to say I want to post if I I you know something that means something to me and uh so yeah I'm I'm trying and I think that there's huge room for improvement but as long as you know we've got girls and guys who are just being utterly authentic in themselves I think that that's what social media was born for and yeah. I think we'll come back around to that I think we you know everything goes in cycles and I do think that we'll come around to that yeah 100% agree um you know I think people you know people like you are, are super important to the you know the young girls um and and just one of the things that you know me and Ali talked about doing this was we didn't ever want to do anything to you know gain subscribers or you know be controversial just let's just do what we're doing and 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 you know hopefully if we're doing a good job people will speak to us and that's all you can be because you don't want to be one of those people that you know you know not that me and Ali are going to do a podcast in a bikini but you don't want to say something ridiculous just to gain publicity Ali may do it Ali has a signal for wrestling so he may do it but um <laughs> That's uh, you know, that's what, episode one hundred right there. One thing, <laughs> something that something that you don't want to see Ellen on is a forty-two-year-old ginger man in a wrestling singlet. But I've seen it. But yeah, yeah. So it's, I think it's super important. Um, you know, you just do things for the right reasons, and I think uh, you know, it's if I had to think it's on, I've got on a mug. One of our early superstar guests, Clint Emerson. Um. Uh, I suppose you can call him a legendary Navy SEAL, and he's got you know his, his t-shirts and all his merch is all about the deed, not the glory, and it's a really good you know good good phrase um, yeah. to use as well. You do it for the re- the reasons that you should be doing it for, not because it's what you think you should be doing. Um, Absolutely, and you know what? One thing that I've realised over these years of you know being in, in social media is that 
people can see absolutely right through something that's not authentic yeah straight away it's as obvious as any i mean it's just in your face and and we know that and yes people still follow the stuff that's you know that filtered this and that because there's a human element that is just sucked into that and we can't help it because we want to you know better with how we you know look in terms of aesthetics and this and that but at the end of the day i think when you speak to people one-on-one -on -one, you know away from the, the crowds and and the public pressure i think that they'll secretly say to you well you know what I, I know what is the good stuff out there and I know what's authentic stuff and I think that that shines through so as long as anyone can go out there being really really super themselves um, yeah. that's that's gonna that's gonna have an effect and it's, it's it's you might not know it because it might not be the you know 10 million likes and followers and everything but there's people following that and they need it and it has an effect for the better yeah I think it's um yeah uh, you know yeah yeah okay there's not there's not there's nothing i can say to add to that you put it way better than me you're you're way smarter than i am you're way smarter and you're a better athlete and speak better english so i can't uh it does nothing for me to add to that <laughs> thank you i'm not sure that's true but thank you um but yeah um i think we have uh we've probably taken up far too much of your time already I noticed that my uh, Prosecco glass was empty. Prosecco ran out, yeah. We're heading yeah. on towards 90 minutes. Just as, as we do start winding it down, Ness, and we have mentioned a few times about the work that you've done. If people want to find out more about the work, your expeditions, where can they find you? Um, and we'll tag this in the notes and add it to the video as well so people can link in with yourself on social media or websites or whatever you want to shout out to. Amazing, yeah, absolutely. So uh, as with most people these days, I uh, spend most of my time on Instagram. Um, so that's uh, Ness underscore Knight on Instagram. And my website is NessKnight.com. And I do need to update that. So very hold fire for a few weeks before you go there. Um, but also, yeah, if you want to go on Twitter and Facebook, stuff gets pushed out through there. And I spend a bit of time on there. So that just search for Ness Knight and you will find it. Yeah, definitely. So well, I, I'm excited to to see updates on the farm. I'm genuinely excited. Yeah, uh, to see, see how the farm goes. Uh, Chaos. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll be we'll be keeping an eye on on those things, and um, I will be looking for your entry into the marathon de sablas, and uh, I'll be cheering you on so I can uh, feel like I've I've done it myself. Reflected glory. <laughs> Oh my God. It's been an absolute laugh and a hoot, and we've, I think we've got down to some quite interesting and deep topics at the same time. So, yeah, it's been yeah. a Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Ness. Now, episode 52, Silly Goose Gang podcast done and dusted. And that'll kick off. The Silly Goose Gang podcast.